I'm Robert Campbell. For over 20 years, the mere mention of the name Jason Voorhees has been enough to send a shudder of fear through the hearts of an entire nation. Born in 1946 to Elias and Pamela Voorhees, Jason was believed to have drowned in Camp Crystal Lake at the tender age of 11. Sadly, he did not. Since then, he has been responsible for 83 confirmed murders and speculated scores of others. Tonight, on a very special episode of American Case File, we'll show you an interview conducted with Mr. Creighton Duke just one week after Jason's alleged termination. You'll remember Mr. Duke as the bounty hunter, previously responsible for the capture of six of this country's most reviled serial killers. Let's go to the tape. I'm going to say two words to you, Mr. Duke, and I want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Okay. You ready? You. Jason Voorhees. Well, that makes me think of a little girl in a pink dress sticking a hot dog through a donut. Well, I was actually referring to your claim that Jason Voorhees is not truly dead. What you think of as Jason is not Jason. That body he's wearing, that's just meat. The boy knows how to dress. He wears other people's bodies like folks wear suits. Oh, he may get blown up, but this is a little minor inconvenience for him. He'll just get himself another body. Jason Voorhees, the true Jason Voorhees something you and I have never seen before, Mr. Campbell. There's only one way to put an end to him of all time. And I'm the only one that knows the way. So if you want him dead, truly dead, 500 grand is my fee. And for that, you get the mask, the machete, the whole damn thing. Quite a character. Hi guys, welcome back to the Dolls of Horror podcast, the spot to feed your tormented addiction. I'm Summer. And I'm Jamie. And today we have with us an extra, extra, extra special guest, the writer and director of Jason Goes to Hell, Mr. Adam Marcus. Hey y'all. Welcome. <laughs> hey Adam. Hi, thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you here with us I'm today. Thrilled, I'm thrilled to be here with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so the first thing I want to talk to you about mm -hmm. is the fact that you're basically a child prodigy. <laughs> I read all yeah. this on the internet. Is this all true? It is. Okay. Because yeah. I'm like, it's the internet. Yeah. You never know. You never know. But yeah. it says an 11-year-old, you were a PA. And mm -hmm. on a studio movie, and at 13, you were an apprentice at Columbia Pictures? I was an apprentice editor, yeah. Okay. And then at 15, you created the Westport Theater Works Company? Mm-hmm. At 15? Yeah. Seriously, dude? I what actually, was I doing I, at 15? I know, I was going to say. <laughs> that was the same year I started teaching. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then... You know, let's skip ahead a few years. At 23 mm -hmm. years old, you directed this movie. But first, it's true that you had something to do with My Boyfriend's Back. I produced it. I love that fucking movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I talk about that movie all the time. I compare it to um, the feeling of maybe Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm -hmm. And I think it actually had somebody that was in Buffy in that. 
Mm-hmm. But around the same time, same kind of feel. I've been telling Jamie she has to see this movie. I do have to see it. She has been telling me. <laughs> I, I I only wish that you, you could both see the movie that, that Dean Laurie and I had originally cooked up when we were in college together. Because it was at NYU when we developed that movie for about three years. And uh, it was far darker, far funnier, mm-hmm. and had musical numbers. I mean, you had us at musical numbers. We're there. <laughs> We're there. It was kind of amazing. And it was also, um, the movie was, uh, because, you know, Dean wrote it in the 80s mm-hmm. uh, when we were finishing up uh, film school. And uh, we had had a lot of friends in New York at that time who uh, who died of AIDS. Mm-hmm. So the movie was really an allegory for the AIDS crisis because it, the, the original concept was that when Johnny rises from, from, the, gra- from the grave to go to the prom, um, he's warned that if you go past the gates of the cemetery, your body will deteriorate in three days unless you eat the flesh of the living, which he finds repugnant and doesn't want to do. Right. Well, the, thing, the, the reason he finds this out is because there are a hundred zombies living inside the confines of the cemetery. But they're just sort of playing cards and hanging out and doing musical numbers um, to occupy their time. And when Johnny breaks free of this, all the zombies see his bravery and they go, we want to go back to our families. Yeah. And so it was about all these zombies that went home. They weren't there to eat the living. Right. They just wanted to be among the living. They just miss their miss the people they love. Yeah. And everyone shuns them. Mm-hmm. And that's what it happened to so many of our friends, yeah. you know, cuz I mean I grew up on Broadway and and a, you know a lot of my friends ended up in that horrible mm-hmm. uh disease and situation. Yeah. And so it was really it, it was analogous to the fact that their families they would come home to their families and they were seen as monsters oh. when they were just the same people they yep. always were. They just wanted to be loved. Yep. Absolutely. So, so that's what, what initially Johnny Zombie, uh, My Boyfriend's Back, what it was originally called Johnny right. Zombie, what that movie was about. So, yeah, it was, um, again, the movie they made is adorable. but It, it is it, adorable. The minute Disney bought the movie, right. I was It became like, a Disney movie. <laughs> Right. I was like, they are totally going to make, this is going to be the mouse house. So, um, and this is going to be Hocus Pocus, you know? Exactly. Uh, I desperately wanted New Line. Uh, New Line and and Disney were in a a bidding war over the movie, but Disney Mm -hmm. just had deeper pockets and Sean Cunningham, Sean Cunningham's first love always is money. So, uh, (laughs) so that was just the way that was going to go. But that's why, uh, because I was originally supposed to direct uh, Johnny Zombie. Um, and because Disney was making this big budget movie, there was no way they were going to let a 23 year old kid direct a movie. Um, so that's when Sean Cunningham said, all right, well, Paramount is selling the rights to Jason Voorhees to new line. So if you can get the effing hockey mask out of the movie, we'll let you, I'll let you write and direct it. Wow. So that's, wow. that's, that's what happened, huh? That's literally what happened. And I, I, I was so excited because I'm a, I was a huge Friday 13th fan, like huge. And sure. so I ran from the office like, yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> it's so great. And then I was like, wait a minute, get rid of the what? Yeah. So well, that was sort of the sequence of events. Yeah. Yep. But that's wow. how it happened. Wow. And I'm yeah. dying to know, like kind of 
where did where did the idea come from? Like, what was the process of like making the story, putting it together? What was your writing process? The process was this. Um, I had three days to come up with a, a treatment for the movie. Literally, I was given three days, so uh, which I did. I, I, I wrote, wrote the treatment in three days. Um, what happened was, okay, so um, as a kid, I, I was so in love with these movies. However, <clears throat> as a kid with a brain in my head, I kept saying, wait a sec. So at the end of the first movie, right, 30 plus years after the death of this kid, of Jason Voorhees, um, he rises from the lake and he's still 11. Yeah. He's still a little boy. Okay. All right. Then two weeks later, yes. he has gained 120 pounds of pure muscle. He has found a tailor to fit him perfectly with a, with a suit of clothes. He has learned to read because back then the only way you could find out where anybody lived was by um, looking in the white pages. Right. Right. Um, he has learned to drive because <laughs> I don't think he took a city bus carrying his mom's head. <laughs> um, and not only that, but then he works out a very intricate kill yeah. where he hides mom's head in the second the second uh, uh, shelf of the fridge, which, by the way, you, as anyone knows, it's the most cluttered shelf of the fridge. So my whole fridge is a absolutely mess. Like, really. So he's moved everything, right? He's put that head there, and then he goes and he hides, and he waits quietly. For, right. <laughs> th this is our Jason, right? The guy who just yeah. hacks people up with a machete. Yeah. No, no, no. He hides and waits for Alice to come to the fridge. And imagine the number of times she like walked towards the fridge and didn't go to the fridge. And he's like, <laughs> he's like oh. Uh, uh, uh. Okay. So then he kills Alice. That's a parody I want to see made. <laughs> right? Takes her body and the head back to Crystal Lake where he puts it into his makeshift shanty town. Okay. His right. shrine. <laughs> right. Now, now then, then let's jump, let's jump to part four where, mm -hmm. you know, Tommy turns his head into hamburger meat at the end of that movie. Yeah. So there's no head left at the end of that movie. Mm -hmm. He just hacks away at it. Right. Yeah. Now jump, now jump to part six where he's resurrected Frankenstein's monster style, yep. but yeah. he has a head. <laughs> yes. How'd he get a head? Where'd the head come from? Right. <laughs> Yeah. Forget about the fact that by part seven, he's battling, you know, Stephen King's Carrie and part eight, he takes a circle line ride to Montreal. Mm -hmm. So, so now there's your Vancouver, actually. Oh, true. True that. <laughs> so, so there's, there's your timeline, right? That's, right. that's, that's the sacred Friday the 13th yeah. timeline that fanboys get crazy about. Like that's I'm sure. And I'm like, this timeline makes no sense from the very from part two nope and that's that's actually what i said um to my husband actually what because i was watching jason goes to hell to review again because it's been about a year sure. and he's like this makes no sense and i said like any of the rest of them made any sense at all well but like, wait you're the from eight to 30 overnight the reason why i i created jason goes to hell and why it it it, it structured the way it is was all intentional to fix 
that timeline. So that mm -hmm. timeline makes sense mm -hmm. because now let's figure. Okay. So Pamela Voorhees will do anything to have her Jason back. Anything. Right. So wouldn't she look to the dark arts? Yes. Wouldn't she look to something like the Necronomicon and reading from the Necronomicon so Absolutely. that she can resurrect her Jason. Yeah. Now imagine, remember, Jason is this hydrocephalic headed, you know, uh, uh, mentally challenged little boy who's stuck at the bottom of Crystal Lake, right? And at this point, he's been there for decades. And here's his body covered in brambles in, in the filth of the bottom of this lake. And he can't move. And he's in cold darkness, right? When he wakes up. And there's his mom's not there. His mom doesn't know where to come and get him. He's just there, right? Yeah. Now imagine that she, one of the first things he sees up above him at the surface of the lake is his mommy rushing towards the lakeside and someone cutting her head off. And now he rises from the lake, attacks Alice, pulls her off of her canoe, but he's still a little boy. He's still in a small form, right? Yeah. Okay. She gets away, but the rage in him, the need to destroy Alice, suddenly, now that you are part of the evil dead, and I'm not saying a deadite, I'm, I, I always love that people are like, there's uh -huh. just Jedites. No. If you look at the mythology of the, of, uh, and again, I, I, I love all these H.P. Lovecraft scholars who, who always tell me, I'm like, uh-huh, really? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> um, here's the thing. We called him the devil's assassin. That's what Dean and I always called Jason. And this idea that if he is suddenly filled now with the evil dead, I believe him gaining 120 pounds of weight. I believe yeah. his head growing back. I believe him being resurrected Frankenstein's monster style. Mm -hmm. I believe all of it now because now it's supported by dark magic. Now I'm in. This character's a monster. He's been a monster since the first movie. Yes. Why are we treating him as though he's not that? So right. it's funny. When I went to see the movie Rogue One, which of course is you know an entire film based on the idea that right. someone put a hole in the Death Star that you could shoot, you know, shoot one shot into and explode the Death Star. Um, so now Jason Goes to Hell really is the rogue one of the Friday 13th franchise. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's and, where the that's where the writing came from. And Jamie and I were talking about this about an hour ago. We're like, people love to hate this movie. People and then I'm like, people love to hate everything, actually. This is true. Um, and I was like, I've always loved this movie. I think I've always loved this movie because I was at an appropriate-ish age uh -huh. to see it when it was uh -huh. new released. So I was like 11. Perfect. Oh, and, that's like perfect. the perfect age. Yeah. Right. So whereas like I was, I've been watching horror since I was eight years old, but right. some of those movies are 10 years old by the time I get to them. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So yep. I, I have this fond memory of renting this one in new release. Yep. You know, and yeah. it's the same thing with part eight renting that one in new release. I love those ones and people hate those ones, but mm -hmm. I love them, I think, because they were so new and fresh when I did see them. Totally, you know? yeah. totally. Yeah. And look, uh, again, I, I totally understand people who all they want is hockey mask for, for, you know, for 90 minutes of the movie. What, sure. what I find funny is that my film has more Jason in a hockey mask than almost any of the other movies, just yeah. screen time wise. 
There's a ton of screen time of Jason Voorhees as Jason Voorhees. So yeah, there, there is a, um, there is sort of a fanboy conceit that because we have the body hopping, because there's a mythology that, that suddenly shows up in part nine, which I totally understand people's gears, gears getting grinded over it. I, sure. I get it. There's also a certain sense of uh, you have six movies with Jason Voorhees. You yeah. have six already up to my film because the first movie is about Pamela the fifth movie is about Roy, a guy who has a photograph of Jason in his back pocket. Um, if you want Hockey Mask, you've got five of those movies to contend with. Yeah. you got five Hockey Mask movies. And again, my film has the Hockey Mask in oh, it. Oh, yeah. I, I also, look, I think that, um, I, I feel very lucky, actually, that um, that the movie has, you know, I, I, would always, I always say it's a, a kind of a 50-50 divided camp. I agree. Um, mm-hmm. 50% of the audience loves the movie. 50% of the movie hates the movie. And no one seems to have like a middle of the road reaction to the movie. It's like one or the other. Yeah. I actually think that the people who hate the movie have kept the movie alive all these years. I yeah. think that more people debate the movie, um, which I think is is a positive thing. I don't see that as a negative. Uh, and, and again... I'm okay with people not not digging the flick. That's okay. Like that's great. Yeah. I, you know, hate the movie. That's awesome. Let's talk about it. Um, it you know, it's just the it's the it's the fanboys that like wish me ass cancer. Um, that that I could I could do without that part. I could definitely I could definitely do without that. Yeah. But other than uh, that, I'm cool. I'm cool with people having whatever reaction they have. It means that somehow I affected them with the movie, yeah. which is great. And they've watched it and they've thought about it and they're engaging yep. with it. You know, I'm a reporter outside of this. Um, that's mm-hmm. what I do for a living. So I totally feel you on the whole like ass cancer stuff. Like, right. It's like, wow. The time. Yeah. Wow. It's like, that's it. First off, I, I've had three people wish that on me and I'm like, wow, that's a really specific form of cancer. Say, like, wow. That's a, wow. Oh um, gosh. But you know what? I, look, here's the thing. I I, I made I made a joke. Uh, the um, the Scream Factory new Blu-ray set. Uh, I I intro the movie on it, and I make a joke about you know thanks to all of the people who hate this movie who now own a fifth copy of it in their library. Exactly. Um, because you guys helped to pay for my swimming pool, um, and it's just it's really true. Like the people who hate the movie have so much Jason Goes to Hell memorabilia in their lives. I'm like, but you hate the movie. Like, why would yeah. you even buy one copy of it? And they have every format. They have VHS, wow. Blu-ray, DVD. And they've got they've got the laser disc of the movie. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like. They got that poster. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, do the movies that I hate, I don't buy stuff from. It's kind of extraordinary. So no, I'm I'm good. I'm look exactly. I'm good debating it. I'm good with people loving it, people hating it. I prefer when people love it, but I it does not, it does not ruffle my feathers by any means. Yeah. And you know, um, I was like, I'm dying to know like what were kind of your first thoughts when you first saw the final product? Um, well, it depends because my final product was very different from their final product. 
Um, I I read a little something about that. I'd love to hear a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We um, look, I mean, my, the first cut I had of the movie was incredibly long and boring. Like all movies start. Um, It was well over two hours and it was ridiculous. And it was a lot of exposition and none of it worked, um, which is fine. Uh, When we finally cut it down to a lean size, um, it was, it had more drama to it. It had more conflict. It also was far bloodier than what the American audience got to see. Um, And then, you know, look, New Line needed the movie to be at 90 minutes. Like they needed that number. And the reason is that you would get one extra screening per day at every theater. Oh, okay. That was literally the reasoning. Cause my, my, my cut was a little over a hundred minutes. So I cut it down to a 93 minute runtime, which had all the gore. Like I was like, look, I'm not going to screw the fans. They need to get what they came for. Right. So all of that was in there, but then new line, of course, and this was not their fault at all, but the MPAA was like, we're not really, you're not going to release the movie with an R if you don't cut this, this, and this. And they did. So by reducing it down, New Line got their extra showing, which was terrific. Um, And it made way more money because of it. And then uh, New Line always had a dastardly plan with Jason Goes to Hell because they had asked me intentionally, please shoot some scenes that you know we can't show in theaters. Okay. Because it's the first movie that New Line ever released as an unrated and rated cut. Oh. So every movie, I'm sorry, every mom and pop shop had to buy two copies of the movie instead of one. So it became the largest, it became the biggest release New Line had ever had of of a VHS title at that time. It was the, it was their biggest seller. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so New Line was very happy and very yes. happy with, with what I had given them because things like the tent scene, yes. you know, they were like, this is gold and this is going to make us twice the money. And it did. I don't think I've ever seen the the cut version. Like, I saw it, of Good course. Good for you. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't seen, think I actually I, have either. I, I know I've seen a cut version because I would watch it on, like, TNT. So I've seen a cut version, but that was cut even more. But you know what's great about the TNT version, the TV version, mm-hmm. is that they inserted some of the drama scenes back in. Yep. Some of the stuff that was in my original hundred and some minute cut. They did the same thing for Halloween when I watched the TV version. And I was yep. like, oh. it completely changed the story. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> Which I love. Look, like, it's insane. For, look, for me, here, here was the thing. <clears throat> in in approaching the writing and and, and the structuring of the movie... Um, one of the things that I have a problem with, with slasher films in general, and by the way, not initial slasher films, but with sequels, Uh um, what happens in all of these franchises and let's take Halloween, Mm -hmm. uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Texas Chainsaw, even Hellraiser, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, the first movie of all of these franchises are terrifying, right? The first movie is crazy scary. Mm-hmm. In the case of Friday the 13th, the first movie is scary. The second movie is better. The second movie yeah. is really terrifying. I love the second one. <laughs> right? 
Yeah. And, by the way, best final girl ever in any of these movies. She's Amy Steele's incredible. Um, because she's a great actor. Forget about yes. the fact that she's adorable. She's a great mm -hmm. actress. She really is. Yeah. And the character is super smart. And so mm -hmm. you're afraid. All of the of Friday Thirteenth Part Two, you're scared. The initial Halloween, you're terrified. Mm -hmm. The initial Nightmare on Elm Street, horrifying, mm -hmm. scary. It, right. Here's what happens. You bring in new filmmakers and you go, okay, and Freddy is the, the worst of, of all of them and it, and it affected all the other franchises. Mm -hmm. Freddy has a dark sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Great. In the first movie, that's just terrifying. By the way, no one, in, no one in the first movie of any of these things is ever saying, go Freddy, kill Heather. No one's saying. <laughs> no. No one is saying, right? <laughs> right. No one is no one is hoping Michael Myers will kill Jamie. No. Right? No one right. wants Jamie Lee Curtis dead in that movie. You want her to win. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So here's what happens. When you've got a movie like that, now your audience is in the eyes of the hero character, and it's terrifying mm -hmm. because the shark is coming for them. No one goes to the movie Jaws and hopes that Jaws is going to eat Chief Brody. No <laughs> one ever. Right. So here's the thing. Maybe little sharks that see the movie might. Sure. <laughs> so here's the thing. In subsequent films, they make the villain funnier. Yeah. Or more ironic. And He's they the make hero. The what? He's the hero. Right. Yeah. And they turn all of the all of the teenagers and whatnot into snot-nosed little assholes that you're like, I can't wait for them to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, guess what? That's not scary anymore. No, there's nothing scary about that. That is purely now. Now the shark is the good guy and all the swimmers are the bad guy. Well, here's the thing. If you eliminate these movies from being scary, you're killing the whole reason I loved going to these movies Yeah, and why so few things are scary anymore. So with Jason goes to hell, I was like, okay, I want a villain that you never know where the villain is. Like you're like, who could be the villain next? Right? So for me, I, I love when people say like, oh, it's a ripoff of The Hidden. I hadn't seen The Hidden when we wrote the movie. I had not seen the movie. So yeah. when I finally saw The Hidden, I was like, oh, God, everybody's <laughs> going to say I ripped this off. Oh, my God. Here's the thing. I was doing a tribute to John Carpenter's The Thing because John Carpenter the is thing. the Right. That's what I was doing. Like, mm -hmm. I'm doing The Thing. I'm not doing The Hidden. That being said, I wanted my heroes to be people that you loved and that had full lives. And my problem with, with, with the Friday 13th franchise in particular is that why hasn't someone shut down that camp? Why hasn't someone gone and looked for somebody who's killed over a hundred people? That's a major right. serial killer. Where's the FBI? Yeah. Which is why the opening of the film is the way it is. Where I'm like, no, the feds would, someone would come in and All deal with it. this problem. Right? Yes. Right. Yes. So now you've got a, a town of people who are just trying to live their lives. Now, by the way, initially, the Stephen Freeman character that John DeLamay plays in the movie was Tommy Jarvis. I was not allowed to use Tommy Jarvis because oh. New Line had only bought Jason Voorhees. They right. didn't buy Tommy Jarvis from Paramount. Oh. So I couldn't do any of that. Sure. But I wanted it to be a movie about the heroes, not about the villains. Mm -hmm. 
And, and again, that's why these characters, I wanted them to be three-dimensional characters. I wanted them to be people that you were interested in so that when, when the shark shows up, you're like, oh no, the shark. Yes. Because mm-hmm. something- you're right. We don't care about the characters in a no. lot of the Friday movies. That's, you know? that's They're something just that we talked about where they're just, they throw in 20 people to get killed and you don't even know their names. Right. Yeah. You're like right. the one with the boobs. No, the other one with the boobs. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it was really funny because we did this, my friend and I did this like Jason Voorhees trivia game and the questions were hard. They were yeah. really hard. And they were naming names like who did so-and-so did so-and-so and we're like, who's that? <laughs> but when we did the Freddy Krueger ones, we knew right. every character name. Right. Because right. there were less of them, yep. so you cared about them more. Yep. Right. And in, look, in even in movies like Dream Warriors, which I think is a terrific movie, oh, yeah. um, you, you Freddie still too jokey, but but you still care about those kids. Yes, you and do. you know You're their actually, names, right? You know you their like backstory. Even kids. you have a, they all have a backstory. Yes. Yes. Yep. So I it, mean, it makes for a better horror movie, plain and simple. Right. Scene. Yeah, I, I'm 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 not really into horror movies that don't have some horror in them. I'm I'm you know, and again, gore is great. Like I love a good kill. I'm all over. I mean, please, ostensibly, you know, Jason Goes to Hell is the wettest of all the Friday Thirteen movies. It's a bloody <laughs> movie. But it's so gooey. It really is. <laughs> um, Which is how we like it. We like it gooey. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the other half of the reason I got into business. Uh, but here's the thing. I I I I'm. I've never been a gore hound. Like I've never been the guy who goes to the movie just for the gore. I go for the fact that I'm going to get this kind of roller coaster ride of a movie. Like give me something emotionally that I'm interested in. And look, you know, there's a, there's a scene in Jason goes to hell that I, that I always love to reference as sort of, it's probably my favorite scene from a cinematography standpoint. And it's definitely one of my favorite scenes from an acting standpoint but John D. LeMay, um, the first time he sees his baby, yeah, and has this moment in the back of that uh, back of the diner with the child, who of course nothing says that a twenty three year old directed a movie like a baby in a box. <laughs> nothing says that I'm in the twenty three year old dude. It's <laughs> like amazing. Um, but there's the baby. By the way, the cutest kid ever put on earth. Um, and then his buddy. Ward, the son of the two people who run the diner, who he went to high school with, comes into the back room and finds him there. And there's this moment between these two guys, and there's very little dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Where, where you know, John's character says, you know, I've never, I've never touched my baby before. And my buddy Adam Craner, who's been my friend since we were eight years old, um, he played Ward. He pulls his keys out and tosses them to him. And says, get out of here. And you know their entire relationship. You know everything about those two men in that moment. And again, it's in a Friday the 13th movie. You know, that's what I was going... By the way, Jason Goes Tells the only Friday the 13th movie to have an extensive... We had six weeks of rehearsal before we shot the movie. So I worked with those actors because because I'm an, I'm an actor's director. That's what, that's what I love about directing. You did and like a play and then. 
Exactly. We yeah. treat. I treated it like I. I. I had each one of them write up their backstories. Wow. And they were like, "We're really doing this." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. we're doing. Like, let's do this." And I'm telling you, every actor contributed to that. Everybody mm -hmm. wanted it. So it was really, it was like theater camp. I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty extraordinary. The whole thing, the whole process was pretty extraordinary. It really was. But Jamie and I are both musical theater nerds. Yeah. So, big time. Yeah, you are. Like, yeah, it's, you are. It's crazy. Me. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually, the reason we had to do this interview a little bit earlier today is because I am literally heading out in an hour to go and direct a Bollywood musical uh, for the Fringe Festival in what? LA this year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, tell us how that project came about. Uh, it <laughs> it just happened, right? It really wow. just happened. It just happened because wow. um, I, I, uh, one of the things that I've done for my whole life, and I, as I said, at 15, I started teaching, um, I, I started teaching acting. That was what I, what I, where my specialty was. Oh and I've run a, um, an acting school in LA for the last 25 years. And they're that group of actors. I've got 60 actors I work with every week. Those 60 actors are my are part of the Skeleton Crew troupe. And they are the actors that I go to. If you see my film Secret Santa, it's nothing but my students. And they're students that all work constantly in film and television. So they're they're amazing actors. Anyway, one of those actors uh, is a, a amazing woman named Ruchi Kishore. And Ruchi um wrote this play that got accepted to the Fringe Festival. And they are deep in rehearsal. And she was freaking out because she was not happy with the direction of the piece and what was happening. She came to me and I was like, I have absolutely no time because I'm I'm prepping four movies right now and a new TV series. And I was like, you need what now? And <laughs> smartly really wisely she cast my wife in the play so i was like well i guess i'm directing a bollywood musical okay <laughs> so that is uh happening now so yes yes i'm i'm literally doing that later today so well that's an amazing surprise like <laughs> it I... really is it really is yeah yeah um, but no, musical theater was my life for 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 much of my life. It was uh, it was all it was what I lived and breathed. Yeah, I mean, we, Jamie and I just spent like what seventy two hours together straight in Indianapolis at the convention, and the last night we were just taking pictures and stuff with each other. But mm -hmm. playing in the background was Chicago the Musical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we were singing, dancing, taking and, photos. And I'm trying to remember the choreography because it's been like 20 years since I did mm -hmm. this. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, I think it went something like this and this, and then I don't remember. And then, oh, this happens <laughs> to the what? Hot Honey Rag number. And I'm like, I remember like maybe like 40% of it very sloppily, by the way. Sure. sure. <laughs> oh, speak for yourself. It looked great. <laughs> Which um which festival were you at in Indianapolis or convention? Oh, um, Days of the Dead. Oh sure, right, right, yeah, right. they sponsor yeah. our show, so awesome. That's awesome. To, it's a yes. well, it's a great convention. It's a lot of fun, and so we get to go and work and do, host their panels and and do a lot of fun things like that and hang out with each other. It was the first time we'd ever met in person. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was that's kind of awesome. magical. Oh, that's great. There you <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah. So it's been a complete like you know Streamyard Zoom relationship until totally. then. We that's met on great. Instagram. 
Yeah. During the <laughs> pandemic, you know? Hey, you got to do what you got to do. Exactly. And then, and then when my, the first co-host, she uh, didn't have time. So she wanted to drop out. I'm like, okay, who can I replace her with? Or do I do this alone? Or to just have a new guest host every week. And I'm like, well, that Jamie girl we had on as a guest a couple of weeks ago was pretty fantastic. That's I'll awesome. ask her. That's and me. I'm the Jamie girl. She's the, the Jamie, Jamie girl. girl. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was just a magical um, union. It really was. Awesome. That's so, awesome. The pandemic yeah. is actually, the pandemic's done a lot of that. It's it's brought a lot of people together that normally never would have either met or or become right. close. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, and- I I loved it, except for the fact that a lot of people died, which is awful. And yes. and we're down two jobs in this household. I had two jobs, my husband had one, so now we're down now I'm down to one job. Mm-hmm. Um so the money's a little bit tighter, but yeah. I got to do so many more things because people had to find different ways to do things. For example, like um Tyler Peck from the New York City Ballet who has free ballet classes twice a week on Instagram for an hour. Not only would I never have gotten to do that because I'm not in New York, I'm not nearly good enough <laughs> to partake in her classes anymore because I'm old and fat, but I got to take classes with a New York City ballet dancer. Which is right. amazing. Yeah, right. and amazing. you know, so many people like basically went, I've heard many stories of people basically, you know, pursuing like dream careers that they've always you had. Bet businesses that they've wanted to start and they just, yep. you know, they didn't yep. have the time they didn't have, and then they were offered nothing but time. So yep. I know some people who've really like it changed their life in a really positive mm-hmm. way. Yeah. 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 I like- literally, I literally wrote an entire season of television over the pandemic. <laughs> wow. It's like, all right, I guess this is happening now. So, yep. Now, now, pre-pandemic, you were working on um, a documentary, right? Hearts of Darkness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We still how are. Is that? Yeah. How is that coming along? Because I know that, that kind of got shut down. Yeah. What happened? It was amazing. We uh, we shot thirty interviews in January and February of mm-hmm. 2020, mm-hmm. and then COVID. Yep. Yeah. Um. So we've already shot over 75 hours of footage for this documentary. Oh, I can't wait. It's crazy. And then um, just now we are scheduling our last eight interviews. We did two over the pandemic, which was great. We were able to work it out. Um, and I won't, I, I wouldn't shoot Zoom. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do right. things. I'm like, no, not happening. Right. I'm not putting that stuff in the movie. You can wait. Um, yeah. We shipped cameras to people. We did we did everything we could do. And then we would interview over Zoom, but they would be shot in 4K with our cameras the oh, way we wanted good. it to be. Done. So it's like in person. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Not yeah, like yeah. this. Exactly. So so it um because I wanted intimacy for the doc mm. and I want it to look beautiful. The fans paid for the doc. I want them to get the doc they paid for. Sure. Um and then in the middle of all of this. Uh, I get a call um, from Josh Miller, who uh, who wrote Sonic the Hedgehog one and two, the upcoming new Sonic. Okay. Um, because he runs a thing called Friday Night Frights uh, for the American Cinematheque, and he was reaching out to me because the American Cinematheque wanted to do an anniversary screening of Jason Goes to Hell, and I was like, Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. He said, Will you come out and talk to the audience and yeah. do Q and A? I was like, oh, of course I will. Yeah. <laughs> so um, next Friday, which is the actual anniversary of the release of Jason Goes to Hell, August 13th, Friday 13th, uh, there is a uh, American Cinematheque screening happening in Los Angeles 
um, that my whole documentary crew will be there documenting that because we're going to use that as the end of the documentary. Um, awesome. So, yeah, so it's, it's kind of extraordinary. Um, and by the way, it got sold out in record time. Um, in fact, we, we, uh, we broke their website, um, because people went so fast to grab tickets. It was amazing. Oh, it was I like would have, if I'm local, I would have. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. So, uh, yeah, so that's next Friday. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. Like, that's a really fun kind of great way to celebrate and also a great way, a great chapter for the documentary. But I gotta tell you, I mean, our editor, uh, a brilliant guy named Eric Beatner just got nominated for his ninth Emmy uh, wow. as an editor on The Amazing Race. Um, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we've just gotten like more and more wonderful things have happened yeah. for the doc. And because of the shutdown, I was able to get a hold of a couple mm -hmm. people we hadn't gotten a hold of yet to be in the doc. So it's going to be over 40 interviews in this documentary of all the people who were involved with this film to begin with. So, it, so it's, been, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. I'm so yeah. excited. And I didn't know that August 13 was the anniversary, um, which works out because like, I haven't even told Jamie about this yet in my head. I was working it out last night. We just recorded for um, Friday the 13th part three, because we're doing mm -hmm. them in order right. per mm -hmm. holiday and we're on part three now. Mm -hmm. But that one takes place on the 14th. Right. So I I was thinking to myself, I'll release this on the 13th and then that one on Saturday, the 14th. And it turns out it's the anniversary. Yes, it is. Oh, can't be. All right. There we go. And by the way, and by the way, Larry Zerner, Shelly from Park yeah. 3, is our lawyer for the documentary. I love Larry oh. Zerner. Can I tell you my Larry Zerner story? Please do. Yeah. Well, Larry's it's not awesome. it's not a it's not a personal story. Like I've never met him, though I really want to. Mm -hmm. um, we were watching um, last Christmas. My husband and I were watching this um, indie Christmas horror film because Christmas is my favorite time for horror. Same. Um, it was like an anthology called I think it was called All the Creatures Were Stirring or something like yes. that. Yep. And Larry walks through the background, and I'm like, mm -hmm. "That's Larry Zerner." And Henry's like, "Who?" And I'm like, Friday the 13th, part three. And he's like, who? And I'm like, never mind. Yeah. And, and he's looking at me like, because he has no words. He's, just, he's on there for two seconds. He's like, how do you know that, you freak? <laughs> so so you're a huge Christmas horror fan. Have you seen Secret Santa yet? No. I didn't even know about it until I was doing my research on you. I so know. this has to happen this year. Well, add it to our Christmas collection too of viewing because we really every um every December we do Christmas movies. Mm -hmm. It's definitely like what makes me jolly for the season. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. I really want to see it. Um, so you're a fan of Christmas horror as well? Oh, huge, huge. Well, here's the thing though. My problem with Christmas horror is that it's always it. So much of it is based around an evil Santa Claus, yeah. and I was like, mm -hmm. I will not make that movie. I will not make a movie about a guy getting dressed up in a Santa suit. For me, um, I have a very complicated relationship with Christmas because um, I'm Jewish. My, pa <laughs> my parents are both Jewish. Uh -huh. They got married on Christmas Eve because it was my mother's favorite time of the year because it was decorated so beautifully. She yes. loved the way everything looked. And you could get the temple cheap on a, <laughs> on a, on a, on a Christmas Eve, right? Like sure. nobody's using the temple. Let's do that. Right. So they had this beautiful wedding, right? 
And then they started having a an anniversary party every year on Christmas Eve. Well, here's the problem. If you have any friends that are not Jewish right. and you have a party on Christmas Eve, it better be a Christmas Eve party alongside right. of your anniversary. Yeah. So my parents ended up being like the Christmas maniacs. So oh our gosh. house was decked out like out of control. Wow. My mother actually started making fancy Christmas ornaments that she started selling this before Etsy. Um, she, she really went all in on Christmas. So here's the thing. I, as a little kid, I would get my Hanukkah gifts, which were always like, you know, pencils and socks. <laughs> and then I would get my cool gift on Christmas, right? So Christmas was awesome. Plus, there was this amazing party with 100 people in our house with my whole family and all of this love, right? Until my parents got split up when I was six years old. And the thing is, they kept having the party. Well, now, instead of this, like, joyous, wonderful thing, everybody had these smiles on their faces. But there were things like, where the hell's my alimony check? <laughs> yeah. Um, so Christmas became this weird mix of like joyous holiday spirit and my family wanting to murder each other. Welcome to all of our Christmases. It, exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing is I got older, I found out this is sort of everybody's relationship with Christmas. So yeah. <laughs> what Secret Santa is about, Secret Santa is about a family that gets together for Christmas Eve and something happens that at first makes everybody start saying what they want to say about each other. And then they start doing to each other what they want to do to each other. That's my That's kind of brilliant. Movie. Oh my it gosh. Is, it's, it's, my, it's the thing I'm the most proud of that I, that I've, that I've written and directed. My, my wife and I wrote it together. Deborah and I wrote it together. Deborah's one of the leads in the movie. She is unbelievable in the film, but I've got people like Michael Rady, who, if you're a fan of, uh, uh, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. He's Custis, oh. the Greek boy. Um, oh. Yes, he's lovely. He's also sort of, he's become sort of the Hallmark king. So if you see Michael, you'd be like, I totally know Michael Rady. Um, yeah, I am. I, I, that, that's the thing. I have, I have a big box of Christmas movies, and I'm talking a big box oh, yeah. of Christmas oh, yeah. movies. And it is a mixture of your classics, like The Christmas Carol, George C. Scott, uh -huh. and oh, yeah. Miracle on 34th, sure. all that. Uh, every Christmas horror movie I can get my hands on that I know about, um, including I have all the creatures are stirring on DVD, you know, um, and then Hallmark Christmas movies. Oh yeah. Like for real. Oh yeah. It's, oh, it's yeah. such, it's such Trust a Trust me, Michael, Michael is in a bunch of those. You yeah. Will, he, he is, and he's always the corporate executive who just hasn't <laughs> learned the magic of Christmas yet. Um, <laughs> Was there also uh, a dog? There's always, always a dog. Always. No, I'm telling you, you guys, if you guys like, like Christmas horror, uh, we've actually, the, the movie was, has been incredibly successful. We, we, um, we won a ton of awards around the world, but we were, uh, we were at, at Sitches in, in, uh, in Spain, both Fright Fests in England, um, took the movie. I mean, it was kind of incredible and, um, it's, it's hit a lot of top 10 best horror uh, Christmas horror movies of all time lists. Like a ton. I just okay, Jamie, this is what we're covering in December. We're I covering know. this movie. It's amazing. It's, it's yep. really, it's a cool movie. Like out of the films I've made, it's the, it's one of the movies that I just go, yeah, no, no, no. We, we nailed this one. We, we got this. So yeah, we did that. We did that with my new company with skeleton crew because, um, 
I had gotten so tired uh, after Deb and I wrote uh, Texas Chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Um, when we went to see the movie they made, I was like, wow, that is not what we wrote. Mm. <laughs> um, and that had happened so many times in our careers that yeah. I started, and, and, you know, like, uh, we would get reviews where, and, and fans who'd be like, do your thing. Cause we're like, no, we didn't write that. We did not write that line. That is not, not ours. Yeah. We will not be held accountable for that. <laughs> no, we did not put a smartphone into a movie that takes place in 1993. We didn't do that. Um, so we would get dinged for stuff that another person had been, had been, you know, directed to put that into the movie. And we just, I just got to a point where I was like, I, I, I didn't get into this business just to make money. I got into the business to tell stories that I want to tell sort of the Johnny zombie thing. Like, you know, we wrote a movie about, about AIDS and you gave us a movie that has none of that. It's just not there. Um, and so with Skeleton Crew, it was a chance for us to go, you know what? We're going to make movies that are that are ours. Mm-hmm. And if somebody has a problem with something in the movie, great. I'm thrilled. Like, yeah. bring it on. Because I'll take the criticism because it's, it's I earned it. But if I but don't also when somebody has a problem with that, means that people are talking about it, too. So that's good. Damn skippy. Damn <laughs> skippy. We actually, it was really funny because the movie is, whenever I would present it at a, at a, at a festival, I would tell the audience... If by the end of this movie, if you are not all offended, I have not done my job. You're speaking my language. We got to oh, watch this. Oh, yeah. It is so It is so non-PC, but... Yes. Springtime for Hitler? Completely. Yeah. By, yes. the way, by the way, there are things in this movie, I promise you, you will gasp. You will actually gasp, okay? But here's, here's the thing, okay? I'm making fun of people who would say the things that are being said in this movie. It's horrible. What they're doing is horrible, right? That's kind of the point. Okay. There was a, uh, there was an audience member at Fright Fest Glasgow. Uh, It was one of the first screenings of the movie. The audience member tweeted out, right? The, the, by the way, the film went over incredibly well. We got a standing ovation. It was amazing, right? Nice. This one, this one audience member was like, was like um, anti-Semitism, homophobia, transphobia. Is this the best that that uh, that Fright Fest can do, right? Mm-hmm. And and Alan Jones, who's the who's considered the Roger Ebert of England, right? Who's this critic who picked up the movie? Mm-hmm. He he wrote me at that moment. He says, "I think this should be our poster." This person's tweet. Yeah. I, I, was like, mean... I was like, you're absolutely right. Like, because this person did not get what we were doing at all. They thought I was like, that this was me saying these things. Like, no. I'm right. horrible people so that when you murder them, you have a jolly, happy Christmas. That's exactly. kind of the point. And by the way, my COVID Christmas last year was the best Christmas I've ever had in my life. Just me and Henry. It was like lovely. It was the best. And I'm like, we just proved that we don't even need to go anywhere at Christmas. Let's do this every year. And Henry's like, no. And I'm like, please. Beautiful. That's beautiful. It is. (laughs) It was the best Christmas I've ever had because for one. I think we got a freeze. I think she froze. She's I know she's having some router issues. So she's probably gonna text me in a minute, but um No worries. 
Um, oh, there so we I, go. We're good. There we go. Yay. She's back. I, I'm, I'm about ready to switch my internet service because they are pissing me off every single week. This happens all the time. And I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask, um, so, you know, you said that, um, you know, you said that this was one of your favorite movies that you've made. Um, if you, is there a dream project you have, or is there something you have not done yet that you would love to do? <laughs> Here, here's the thing. Um, Deborah, uh, Deborah and I um, met while I was doing post-production on Jason Goes to Hell. And um, when you watch Jason Goes to Hell, Deb is the, um, she is the voice of almost every scream, running pant. Um, anytime a woman in the movie like makes any noises, it's Deb. Uh, wow. Because Sean Cunningham was too cheap to bring the actors back to do their ADR. Uh -huh. So he was like, your girlfriend's an actress, right? I said, yeah. He goes, well, have her come in. I'll give her a couple bucks. And literally, he gave her like a couple bucks and bought her lunch. Um, so she is the voice on all this stuff. Well, at that time, Deb was an award-winning playwright when I met her. And I was like, we should be working together. Like, you're working on your stuff. I'm working on mine. But wouldn't it be better if we collaborated? Mm -hmm. And I love working with um, other writers, particularly women, because it gives you the other perspective on the voices. So yeah. by the way, ironically, I write women much better than my wife does. And she writes men better than I do. So, because I think we actually listen when the opposite sex is talking. So we yeah. kind of have a better ear for it. That's perfect. Yeah. So we started working together. Um, Deb and I have written, we've written close to a hundred scripts together. Oh. Um, and the thing is, is that two of our scripts are blacklist movies. I don't know if you guys know what the blacklist is, but it's um, from it's way back, list, right? It's a list of movies that are um, that are considered the best films never made in Hollywood. Oh, um, yeah. oh wow. And one of our one of our blacklisted films got um, it got made about five six years ago called Momentum. It was originally called Gravity, and of course, mm -hmm. then Sandra Bullock, you know. So we couldn't yeah. use gravity. Um, so we ended up with this movie, Momentum, that Olga Karolenko, James Purefoy, and Morgan Freeman star in. Love James um, Purefoy. I know he's so, and by the way, he, I got to tell you, James Purefoy is one of those rare guys where the trailer is as good as the feature. Really? Like, he's, he's astounding. Like, a joy to work with, couldn't be mm. kinder. And completely wants to contribute to everything that's happening every day. By the way, same with Morgan Freeman. Oh, my God. Like, he is the man. He is the man. And I'm telling you, he was flirting with my wife so hard. Like, <laughs> crazy flirting. And I just sat there and I was like. He's Morgan Freeman, man. Like, yeah, you're like, like, this is kind of cool that this is happening right now. I'm like, listen, God, God, if God wants to flirt with my wife, go for yeah. it. You just go right ahead. You go right ahead. I so. can't stand in the way of that. Well, that, that <laughs> happened a little bit at a convention that Henry and I went to mm, mm -hmm. before COVID. And he's like, well, it is so-and-so. So Academy Award winner, what am I going to do about that? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Deb, Deb, understand, Deb understands that, however, if Emily Blunt shows up to the door, she has to leave for three weeks. So that's just the way yep. that goes. Yeah. You know. um, no, but I love, I love, I love, 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 love. One of my favorite shows in the entire world is The Following. Oh, it's amazing. And, and it's, he's amazing in it. He's amazing. What? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. So, um, 
So here's the thing. We, we've written so much material over the years um, that, um, that I've got a ton of dream projects. That being said, I will say the, the television series that I just finished up yeah. was based on a screenplay I had written solo many years ago that was um, uh, a film that was originally uh, Kevin Spacey and Haley Joel Osment were attached to in the mid-2000s. Um, and it's, um, it's based loosely on my childhood. It's a thriller, uh, that now we've turned into a TV series that is absolutely the best thing that we've ever written. It's the best thing we've ever put on paper. So, yeah, so that's, and that's coming down the pike right now. So, um, I'm so excited. Well, when, when it becomes close to premiere time. Yes. You have to definitely come back. And Absolutely will. We can talk Absolutely. all about that. Yeah. I want to talk to you about um, your cast, though, in uh, Jason Please. Goes to Hell. Because what I love all these people so very much. And I really show my age. For example, when um, Henry, for example, when we were watching it and he saw Leslie Jordan, he's like, oh, American Horror Story. And and then I know other people that go, oh, well, in Grace. I'm like, no, Jason goes to hell, you toddler. <laughs> you know? it, was, it was really one of his first, pro- it was one of the first things he ever acted in. Oh, I loved him in that. And, that, you know, I've been a fan ever since that. And since he's done some really good horror things like Madhouse. I loved Madhouse. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, starring with Patrika Darbo and Lance Henderson. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so good. Um my most favorite person in the whole world, though, and anything she's ever done and ever is Rusty Sorbonne. Tell me about it. No, this is not sick, Diana. This is business. People are going to come to see Jason's hometown, and they're going to come with appetites. Like a leg, that moved up. Hey, Phil. Hey, Ma. You really want me to cut these like this? Yes, I do. They look stupid. Well, it's your own dumbass fault. They're supposed to look like hockey men. Now, watch. This makes a whole new patty. Hence, spittle for one burger sale. God, I love this woman. Over back. <laughs> you guys make me sick. <laughs> She's, and by the way, you could not, you could not meet a more extraordinary, amazing, loving human being. Just, Aww. just the, she is, she is sunshine and joy. You know, that's really good to hear because it's it's really, really, really disappointing when you hear they're terrible people. Yeah. Because I am such a fan in anything she's ever does, even the smallest parts. She's the most amazing thing. Um, She's brilliant. The best thing in Perfect Sisters and Heroes and Mm -hmm. Providence. And Mm -hmm. I love her Tales from the Crypt episode with Wendy Mm -hmm. Malick. Mm -hmm. She's so funny, even though it's only in the beginning. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it was complete. I, I mean, her character is like very much me. I'm like, yes. And then for a second in Sleepwalkers and Candyman, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, Wild Honey was a gem. That's amazing. more recent. Amazing film. What? And emotion- she's amazing in it. Everyone's amazing in it. And yes. She's- oh, that one made me go, wow. I, I hope. I hope more people know about this movie than I think they do. I saw it on Tubi two years ago, and mm-hmm. it's one it's of my favorite film. movies. It's a great film. I have not seen this, but I have to you know. Oh, it's, it's great. funny. <laughs> it's, you're going to laugh. You're going to cry a little bit. You're going to go, oh, oh. dear. And but then you're going to do this. 
<laughs> Rusty, Russ, and Rusty's work on the show Louie was unbelievable when she yeah. played Louis C.K.'s sister. She was right, like yeah. extraordinary. No, um, Rusty, by the way, Rusty was interviewed in, for, for the documentary. Um, and uh, she and I hadn't spoken for a while, yeah. not because we didn't want to, but b- because of life. Right. Um, and I'm telling you, like not a second had gone by. Like we, it, it was truly, she is one of those people that the, the minute I'm with her, the rest of the world disappears and it's just her and I talking. It's just the two of us. Um, she is, oh my God, she's such a phenomenal, extraordinary person. By the way, great story about her casting. In the I want to know because I oh, love yeah. the character so very too. much. This is a crazy thing. my character. fave. So Joey B., The reason the name of the character is Joey B is it's named after one of my childhood heroes who I got to live next to um, when I was a kid, a guy named Joseph Bologna, Joe Bologna. Um, Joe Bologna was the lead of uh, one of the leads of the movie, My Favorite Year, which has always been my favorite comedy. Um, But Joe Bologna was also one of my favorite musicals. There you go. There you go. Have you ever Tim seen the Curry film? Curry and they brought Lainey Kazan back and Andrew have you, and Martin. Have you ever seen the film? Have you seen yeah. the Oh, yeah. 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 So, so Joey B was named after Joe Bologna. So it was written for a man. Mm-hmm. Initially, it was a guy that ran the diner and his wife was his cook and their mm-hmm. son was in the mix. Okay. So Rusty comes in to read for the wife. Really? Yes. She comes in to read for the part that uh, that Leslie Jordan right. ended up playing. Right. Okay. So she comes in, she reads for the wife, she kills it. Of she course. murders yeah. it better than anybody else does. I'm like, okay. And we were literally like maybe three or four hours into the day. I had another like 10 actresses coming in to read for that part. And I was reading opposite my cast any, any, because I wanted to see eye to eye what they would do, you know, yeah, in performance. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I say to, uh, to Rusty, I said, look, I'm exhausted. Would you mind reading opposite the, the next few women that are coming in? I said, because here's the thing. You got the job. Yeah. No one else is going to get this. I'm going to say, yeah. I, but I don't want to send these, these right. actresses home. They've all they been worked waiting. hard. They worked right. hard. I want them to meet me so that, you know, we get, you know, I said, but you got the job. She's like, uh, I got the job. I'll do whatever you need me to do. I was like, great. <laughs> So she sits down and she starts reading Joey B opposite <laughs> these actresses. And we're two, we're two, we're two auditions in. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> and we get through the rest of the day. I walk over to David Giella and, and Barry Moss, my cast directors. I said, guys, um, uh, <laughs> I've so I've cool. made I've made a wonderful discovery. Um, <laughs> we we wrote Joey B for the wrong sex. They were like, "What do you mean?" I said, "Rusty is Joey B." I said, "Get me a guy. Get me a guy opposite her." I said, "And if we can get someone really diminutive, because Rusty is so big, I'm like, yeah. get me someone tiny." Yeah. And they said, "We think we have the." perfect person <laughs> Cut to leslie jordan walks into my office the next morning oh that's and awesome literally he said two lines i'm like you're it done stop <laughs> that's <laughs> it so the two of them and then of course my buddy adam craner who i wrote ward for i wrote that character specifically for this yeah. guy i knew since i was eight years old 
he is such a perfect amalgamation of those two actors. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Oh, hold it right there. Don't move a fucking muscle, either of you. No way, I just want to. Shut up! You're with him. Nobody's going to touch that fucking ray of sunshine. Pookie, call the station. I'm doing it, baby. I'm doing it. Holy shit. My dad. Son of a bitch. Ward, go see what the hell's going on in the station. Don't let him go over there. He's going to get killed. Go on. Come on. Ward! Little mister, you're seeing Kat. Honey, watch the willy. Ward, don't, please. Shut up! Keep your hands up. Hi! So Rusty, literally Rusty's acting prowess is what got her the part of Joey B because she, that role was not written for a woman. Oh, wow. You see? And now I couldn't like imagine no. anybody no. else. I could no. never imagine no. anybody else ever. Yeah, the other thing is everybody always thinks because her dialogue is so freeform that like, oh, she must have made some of that stuff up. Not a word. Yeah. Every single word of that of that that she says in that movie is in the screenplay. So when you consider that that was all written for a guy, you go yeah. like, oh yeah, that does make sense. But yeah. how much more joyous is it that it's coming from a woman? It's so much smarter. It's so much yes, more fun. You know, <laughs> the baby will be just as fucking cute out on the on the fucking sidewalk. Yeah. The fuck is that? It's Jessica's baby. Get it the fuck out. This is a restaurant, not a fucking nursery. Hey. I'm glad you got this. Well, thank God every foot on this earth. You little cutie pie. It'll be just as cute when it's on the fucking street. Now get it out! Hey. Yeah? Yeah? Oh, shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 If, if I see him, I'll call. Okay. What was that all about? Hey, the baby can stay. You know, go to the storeroom and make a crib out of a box or something. Okay, go, 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 go. Stephen's been in the state. He's got a gun. Yeah, I know where he's headed. Knowing Freeman, he turned ass and he bolted to Canada. But just in case he didn't. Hi, buddy. Hey, hey. Oh, don't redo it. Um, I mean, she's just, she just, uh, oh man, like, and, and again, what I also love about it is that she could not be less like Joey B as a person. Right. Uh, right. You know, she's really, yeah, no, no, she's, Rusty is, she's yeah. my heart. Yeah. She's my, she's my fave part yes. of the whole movie. Great. She's, yeah. she's almost my favorite kill too. Like, oh, that's awesome. Great. I, mean, I actually have. You really her. can't beat, you know, the tent, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but if we're not doing going with the tent, it's her.
And that's one thing that we always do in our episodes. We have a favorite kill segment. Yeah. We have a fashion moment, a best hair, epic line. I can almost guarantee you that that Joey B is going to be all those when we finally get around to part nine in a few years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can almost guarantee you that she's going to be, it's all going to be all about Joey. Yeah. (laughs) I actually have her full bust um, in my office uh, with that, with the, with the face crushed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And we used to have it in our living room, yet <laughs> it it scared the crap out of my wife every time we'd walk in the door because it looks we had it with with the head head to the door uh-huh. to the back of the head to the door, um, and it looks just like my wife's mother. Oh God! <laughs> so she thought her mother was in our house. By the way, her mother passed away many years ago. Well, okay, that it makes more like sense. Her, yeah, it looked uh-huh. like her mother was in the house every single time we walked in. That she's like. Ah! I'm like, all right, I'll put it away. I'll put it elsewhere. Put it in another room. It. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. So Rusty had to go to another room. But uh, no, it's it's an amazing, it's, here's the thing. Rusty is also, because her character is so abrasive, is such a loudmouth, yeah. And we tried to make the kills work towards personality to some right. degree. Right. The fact that her mouth gets caved in yep. is so satisfying for people in the audience that don't like her character. They're like, oh, won't she just shut up? Uh-huh. And that happens. So, yeah. Well, even if you do, it's like, <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Even if you do. Okay. Other cast members. Um, let's talk about Julie Michaels, who still apparently had her witchboard hair on. Mm-hmm. She did. Um, yeah. was, she that, did. Was, was that the witchboard weave? That is the witchboard weave. Or is that something else? No, it was the witchboard weave. Yes. Because <laughs> we did witchboard part one and two earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, great stunt woman. And Jason goes to hell. And She's normally right. a blonde. Yeah. But, so I'm like, hmm. But then I watched this. I'm like, that looks like witchboard hair. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, Julie. Uh, Julie's incredible. Um, Julie and I are really close friends. Uh, to also, this your namesake as far as her character. Well, yeah. by the way, and I did not do that. Just so you know, I did not do that. Sean Cunningham did that because mm. we placed the movie in Cunningham County, which annoyed the crap out of him. So on the night that Jimmy Gleason uh, comes in to say that line about like, you know, Good work, Agent Marcus. Yeah. That had been added that night. Uh, and Sean Sean comes out behind me like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> It's one of the only lines that was actually made up on the spot. The, really? the other, Yeah, the other. And it was funny because it was all around that sequence because the other line that was made up on the spot was when I added Creighton Duke to the opening scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Originally, he was just supposed to be watching silently and smoking a cigar. Mm-hmm. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, do me a favor. Just throw out the line. I don't think so. And Stephen was like, done. Like, Great. Good. Good. Um, uh, Creighton Duke, love the character. Um, by the way, you've mentioned Jaws several times and his little monologue did not escape me that it was very much Quint. Oh, he is Quint. But he yeah. is Quint. He is Quint. Yeah. Dean, Laurie, and I, one of our favorite characters of all time is Quint because Jaws is one of our favorite movies. So yeah. oh, we, yeah. when we brought, when we created Creighton Duke, it was how do we get Quint in the movie? Yeah. You so, succeeded. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll get you definitely. the mask and machete, the whole damn thing. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and oh, I'm yeah. like, okay, you know, it's like when 
you're so engrossed in horror like we are we we hear those things and we're like yeah. oh yeah but oh, yeah. if you're not you're like oh okay no, right. no you don't get it this is genius let's put it this way any audience member who came to see jason goes to hell and doesn't know that quote they're not horror fans. They're no. posers. Exactly. Get out of here. Get <laughs> no. out of here. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Richard. The subject is a victim of multiple bullet wounds. At a glance, I'd say we're looking at well over 100 bullet wounds of Varying caliber. This is going to be a real joy to count. In my professional opinion, this guy's dead in shit. <laughs> uh, strike that last comment from the record. Hi. But, right, um, Richard Gant. Richard Gant is uh, what what everybody knew him from at that point was Rocky Five. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. and which he's amazing in, even though that is the worst of all the Rockies. But he's incredible in that movie. He's incredible. And in yes, and I got to tell you, like, couldn't be more of a teddy bear of a man. Oh, oh nice. He's so amazing. You, you want to know how much of a dork I am and what I know him from? Sure, please. Three things. 90210. Of sure. course. Yeah. Titus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and diagnosis murder. There you go. That I don't know, but yes, I've never seen his episode. Also, Stephen Williams, diagnosis oh. murder, season two, about and, a boxer. And Steve, come on, Stephen Williams. I mean, it's all about yeah. the Jump Street. It's all about Jump Street. Come on. Come on. Yeah, no, like he was in the season two episode. <laughs> I, it's funny because with Stephen, um, one of the first times he and I met, um, he was sitting at lunch. And as I sat, as I went to sit down with him at lunch, I, I looked at him and I said, Orange Whip? Orange Whip? <laughs> Three Orange Whips. Um, and he couldn't believe someone was like, Most people don't even recognize that I'm that guy. I'm like, I know you. Yeah. I mean, also another Chicago connection, Cooley High. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. His first role. And an amazing film. A fantastic film. That movie's amazing. amazing. Right. Um, Stephen Culp, also 90210, later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. American Horror Story and yeah. Scream Queens. Oh, yeah. and, a and a brilliant thespian. I mean, the thing about Stephen right. is that, you know, um, he's he's actually one of the few guys that is kind of taken a little step back from any of his mm -hmm. horror stuff yeah because he does so well you know look this is a guy who played bobby kennedy opposite kevin costner i mean yeah. he he's he's had an illustrious career he's an amazing dude um i steve and i hang out at the theater a lot and he uh i mean he he took over for angels in america i mean the guy is he's really extraordinary he's an extraordinary talent yeah john lemay friday the 13th the series yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. Like yeah. 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 Well, the thing about John, um uh John was very late casting. John was almost one of the last people cast in the whole movie. Um him and Stephen Williams actually. And the reason is there was originally someone else playing that part. Mm. Oh. So Jonathan Penner, 
who ended up playing Vicky's boyfriend, David, in the movie, and it got cut. Um, but it's in the television version of the film. Um, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan and I are good friends. He, he's a brilliant actor and also wonderful writer. Um, him and his wife, Stacy Title, uh, made that made the incredible movie The Last Supper, which if you've never seen, it's it's extraordinary. Uh-uh. It's an extraordinary movie. Um, so and Jonathan also is the most seen contestant on Survivor. He's played more mm-hmm. days than any other person in the show. Really? Um, oh. He, yes, that is that is Jonathan's big thing. Um, his wife Stacy just we just lost her to ALS uh, oh, at the no. beginning of this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jonathan was supposed to play the part. And New Line bumped the movie two months. We had to do a rewrite and they bumped the movie and Jonathan had another contract that he right. couldn't get out of. Sure. So I said, look, okay. I said, you can't play the lead, but will you come in and play this, you know, this day character right. who gets naked? And he was like, you had me at naked. Um, <laughs> so when, so, so I was, I literally lost my lead like yeah. a month before shooting. Wow. And uh, my, my um, assistant director, my first AD uh, Sam Mahoney, incredible guy. He said to me, he's like, Hey, uh, I worked on uh, Friday 13th, the series. Uh, pretty great guy in the lead. Might be great for this part. I was like, Oh, I know that dude. He's yeah. like, Yeah. He says, I can call him up today. He'll come in. I was like, Great. Yeah. He came in. We met. I was like, Totally done. got like done. You're Perfect. awesome. Here's the thing though about John. John is one of the only actors that I actually had any conflict with as far as how to play the part. Okay. Um, John and I were, were great friends and he's an amazing guy mm-hmm. and incredibly talented. The problem is because he had done Friday 13th, the series, right. he had done sort of the jokey, funny stuff a lot. Right. And I had said to him, I said, I said, look, John, it, it's it's kind of John McClane and Die Hard. It's like yeah. it's this guy who is thrown into this insane circumstance and doesn't have his shoes on. I right. said that's the way I want you to think of this guy. Yeah. And John kept thinking of him as Hamlet. Okay. And so literally there were times where I was like, no, John, it's too dark, man. It's too serious. Like lighten him up. You're, I said, you're the final boy. Lighten up. Have some fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, like there were times, I literally had to sh- reshoot three scenes of John's because he was so morose and they were like funny scenes. I'm like, no, dude. So, uh, but I got to tell you, what I love about John, he he forced me to see the character differently. And he also took direction in really starting to craft this guy that did have a sense of humor because he Mm -hmm. started with no sense of humor. And Mm -hmm. by the time we got to the stuff with the campers, with him driving the the kids to the the campsite, he he was like, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to, all right, I'm just going to have fun. And I'm like, oh, there we go. Look at that. Where are we headed? We're going to Camp Crystal Lake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Planning on smoking a little dope, having a little premarital sex, and getting slaughtered? It's a joke. It's, it's just a joke. It's a little Crystal Lake levity. <laughs> oh, no. He's 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 a brilliant actor, and, and honestly, just 
the thing about John that was the best uh, of all of it, he's one of the kindest people I've ever met. Yeah. He's incredibly like sensitive, sweet, mm-hmm. good-hearted man. He's just mm-hmm. a good guy. Yeah. It's nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like you worked with so many great people on this movie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. My husband would kill me if I didn't mention Aaron Gray. And how did that casting happen? Mm. Aaron Aaron did not want to be in the movie. <laughs> Aaron came to see me. By the way, I met right before I met with Aaron, I met with Tippi Hedren. That was the person who came into the movie right before Aaron. So Aaron came in and I had known I wanted Aaron from day one. Like the minute her her headshot came across my desk, I was like, no, 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 that's her. Yeah. So Aaron came in only because her son was an insane horror fan and was hoping that he could get a PA job in the makeup department. Okay. Right? So Erin came in basically pitching her son to me, which was adorable, (laughs) right? Oh, I love that so much. And I said, I said, look, Erin, I said, here's the thing. I said, you're my top choice for this role. I said, I'm not telling you this because you're in the room with me. I'm telling you this because you're my top choice for the role. Yeah. Yeah. I said, and here's what I will tell you. I said, I think that people have used you for most of your career as a prop. Mm-hmm. I said, they've cast you because you're a model, not because you're an actor. Right. I said, I've watched all your work. You're an actor. I said, I can guarantee you when you're on my set, you're going to have very little makeup. I'm not going to have people fawning over your looks. That's not what we're doing. I said, I want people to see how good Aaron Gray is. Mm-hmm. She signed on five minutes later. <laughs> did her did her son get the job? Yep. <laughs> there you go. Her son worked with K and B. See, got to, got to apprentice, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know how important that is. Oh hell yeah! yeah. Right? Oh yeah. No, it's how my 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 life started. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Do you know? Is he still doing it? I don't know that actually. Yeah, we need to find that out. Um, yeah. And here's what's funny. I know. So one of my one of my actors in my troupe um, is uh, is a guy named Gib Gerard, mm-hmm. who is the son of Connie Selica and Gil Gerard, the original Buck Rogers. Uh-huh. So and Aaron, yeah, he considers his aunt. Yeah. So now Aaron and I have so many connections to each other. It's kind of like I look, Aaron Gray. She's she's the first per she's the first person to ever tell me what a MILF was. <laughs> uh, an important lesson. <laughs> that was that was that was that was a very conflicting moment for me on set because I'm trying to be a professional director, yet I have Aaron Gray telling me what a MILF is, and I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um she is uh Aaron's amazing. Aaron's a pretty, pretty amazing, powerful boy, is she a powerful mm-hmm. lady. Um, no, I, I loved, I, I adored working with her. We, we had an incredible time together on set too. We, it was just, yeah, I, I didn't, I really had a good time. Um, and, and look, I you can know, tell. I yeah. really did. I really did. Well, I love actors. Like I love actors. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's everything for me. And, and so I just got this opportunity to work with these amazing, talented journeyman actors. Yeah. Who um who just kept turning in incredible performances for mm-hmm. me? It was really really amazing. Yeah, and of course, I mean, Kane Hodder in and out of costume, yeah. right? 
Yeah. 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 Pretty, pretty. Not only that, but he was also my stunt coordinator for the whole film. So he was there. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, he, uh, Kane and I are still really good buddies. I adore Kane. I'm actually writing something for him right now in oh. one of the things we're doing. Um, Kane is, um, Kane takes playing the part of Jason more seriously mm -hmm. than any actor I've ever seen committed to any role. Yep. So it's he why. He seems to do that with everything, whether it's yeah. Jason or Hatchet. Yeah. He does. He does. Or or any any role where he's out of makeup. He right. does too. So he's very committed. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, Kane mm -hmm. is one of those guys. Yeah. Look, you know, in, in our industry, you know, every stuntman is an actor, right? But they're not. Sure. Right. Like right, right, there's right. a lot of stunt guys that shouldn't act. They should just <laughs> fall down on things. Kane is one of those guys who so desperately wants people to understand, like, yeah. no, I actually care about the craft mm -hmm. as well. And I knew that going in. It's why I we wrote the part for him as the security guard. I was like, I want you out of makeup. Like, why? Yeah. Am, uh, like, let's do. Also, the idea of, of of Jason killing Jason was just too. Funny. It's fun. Yeah. It's great. Just too cool. Jason can be getting up and walking around anytime soon. <laughs> we really nailed that fucker. You want nothing but a big old pussy anyway. Tonight on American Case File, Jason Voorhees. Dead or deadly? These dramatic photos were taken in the aftermath of the autopsy of Jason Voorhees. The facts? Two security men. Uh, he can't. And then, and then, of course, he got to play Freddy Krueger as well. So um, he is the only he is the only actor to play Jason Leatherface and Freddy. Yeah. Only one. I mean, yeah. Only the one. The trifecta right there. Yeah. It really is. It really I have is. to tell you my Kane Hodder story. We did talk about you behind your back, by the way. Oh, awesome. A little uh -oh. bit. In, in only the best ways. Um, <laughs> I was in Vegas last August uh, uh -huh. helping my friend Christy open her grand opening of her toy store, Nightmare Toys. Nice. Okay. Nice. And she had Kane there and Daniel Harris and Tamara Glenn and the guy who wrote and directed Pool Party Massacre, Drew, Drew, Drew something. I'm so sorry, Drew. Wow. Um, nice guy. Can't remember your last name. Um, anyway, uh, it's still COVID time, right? Right. It's last August. So, you know, we were, we were all just volunteering to help with crowd control. And then Kane's like, who's taking my money? And we're all like, I don't know. And he's like, you to me. And so I sat beside him, took his money all day long. Mm -hmm. And watched his interaction with every single fan. Oh, yeah. And it was beautiful. Yep. Just beautiful. And it yep. was like, I never met him before. And I'm always afraid mm -hmm. to meet people because what if they're mean, right? right. Never meet your heroes, right. right? Right. What if they're awful people? Ruined. All right. four movies ruined. Val right? Kilmer. Yeah. <laughs> really? A I didn't... monster. An absolute <laughs> An absolute unmitigated fucking monster. Wow. Damn. Monster. The the single Seems worst bad. person I've ever known. Damn. Now I'm back. And I have no problem saying it. He's a piece wow. of, he is a piece of garbage. Wow. Yep. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Well Ter terrible person. Go on, please. Because Kane's gonna Kane is the complete opposite. And he looks a lot better than Val Kilmer does at this moment in time. Boy, too. does he. Oh. Boy, does he. I mean, holy cow. Talk I, think, I, think, I think your actual personality starts to yep. seep out of you as you get older. So you know, that's mm -hmm. something that Malcolm McDowell said in one of his movies. 
like 20 years ago. It was a Dorian Gray telling. I uh-huh. don't remember what it was called. Uh-huh. Um, but he's like, by 50 years old, every man has the face he deserves. Yep. Yeah. Right? Yep. It's pretty right? true. Totally true. true. Yes. So, no. So, I, I sat next to Kane for five hours, and he took so much time with each person. Yep. Instead of, which I, I work a lot of conventions, give me my money and get out of my line. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, that is not Kane. No. Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard he's very sweet to fans. I've, I've watched some so documentaries sweet. and he seems to just love the conventions and being around yeah. like the fans. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick Kane story that, 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 that will illuminate sort of my experience with him. We were, um, we were on the last day of Jason goes to and Kane had to be in the full makeup. Yeah. And, um, we were on set. We we're on, on our stages, right? So we were we were indoors, um, shooting the whole finale with him being dragged to hell and everything. And uh, my cinematographer, Bill Dill, who is um, the best DP I've ever worked with, Bill, uh, he had a son named Elliot. Elliot was three years old, but Elliot, Bill, and and his uh, his former wife Edna, the two of them are incredibly tall people, both over six feet tall. So Elliot was already a tall little boy. He looked like he was five or six. He didn't look like three. Right. So everybody would treat him as though he was five or six, even mm-hmm. though he was a little boy. Mm-hmm. So um, not that five or six isn't a little boy. but Toddler. This, They're treating him like yeah. he's five, right. five or six and not two. Right. So Elliot had come in and was walking around looking at every, at everything. And he saw Kane in the full makeup, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't scare him at all. Like Aww. nothing, right? <laughs> so he's watching him and then they were taking Kane out of the suit, which was a full cool suit, right? Yeah, the entire yeah. thing was one piece. Yeah. So they're pulling him out. As they were pulling him out, you could see Kane's skin, which is burned. 90% right. of his body has right. burns. So you could see him getting pulled out of the suit Elliot suddenly got very frightened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, the other thing is that Elliot is, uh, Bill is black. So Elliot is of color as well. Mm -hmm. So now you've got, (laughs) you've got this little boy freaking out about this. Kane kneels down and says, come here, come here. And so Elliot walks over very sheepishly. Right. And, and Kane puts out his arm. He goes, it's okay. It's just like yours. Mm-hmm. Just, just touch, just touch mm-hmm. it. He says, it just looks a little different, you yeah. know, it's just, you know, and so he, so Elliot touches his arm, right. Totally demystifies the fact that he's got burns everywhere. Yeah. 10 minutes later, Kane is in his usual black t-shirt and jeans mm-hmm. and he has lifted Elliot up on his shoulders while we were all having the rap party. Um, on the stages, and he carried that kid for over an hour. Oh, that is the sweetest story. <laughs> and I just, and I'm telling you, this little boy who, trust me, has had lots of times where he had to feel different because of his skin color, uh-huh. suddenly mm-hmm. had this this connection to this man mm-hmm. who demystified all of it, who made everybody everybody's cool and everybody's the same. Yeah. I was so like, I was like, I watched this. And again, like Kane, yes. is always, like Kane always wants to come off as like the scary guy and the tough right. guy and all right. this stuff. 
I was just worried he was going to be a jerk. Right. And I just walked up to him and I was like, you're a pussycat and you're never letting it down. Deal with it, dude. (laughs) That is so sweet. Oh, my goodness. Pretty incredible stuff. Pretty incredible stuff. Well, we just did a whole month of Hatchet. Like all all four movies in order in February in honor of Mardi Gras and Women in Horror Month. Yeah. Yeah. Since it was 2021 and and no one could do Mardi Gras, right? Right. Right. So, and then Jamie had this amazing quote because I was telling her the same story I told you about my experience and how he's just so kind and wonderful. And she goes, oh, Papa Kane, make me feel safe. So true. Yes, so yes. True. And so now, oh, whenever I see him, I'm like, Papa Kane. Papa Kane, make <laughs> me feel safe. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he really is a beautiful man. He really is. Okay. So we are almost out of time. I know you have somewhere to be. I do have one final wrap-up question. First of please. all, two questions. Will you please come back and do this again? Because we have so much more we want to talk about. Oh, so absolutely. Yes. So much no, more. You, you, you so are both fantastic. This was Thank lovely. you. Yes. Likewise. Oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> so I like to usually to ask this to actors, but I think it's very interesting to ask it to a writer. Mm-hmm. What is first instinct? No wrong answer. What is the favorite line that you've ever written? We know the one you didn't write that you don't like, but what yeah, no, that, when, yeah. when you first that was instinct, not you. you it makes you smile. It can change tomorrow too, but like yeah. right now at the moment. Um, <laughs> there's some doozies in Secret <laughs> Santa that I love, that I really do love. I'm so um, excited for this movie. By I am too, oh my God. I I, I'm telling you, and when you see it, you will see why I'm so conflicted because there are things that I've written that you would be like, oh my God, but I'm oh, like- Oh, Jamie, I, we're going to have a hard, hard time with our epic line segment. We are going to have oh, a hard crazy. time with epic line. It oh is great. I'm telling you, it is it is crazy. Um, let me think for a second. Oh my God, there's so many. Um, yeah. And like I said, it could change tomorrow, you know? No, I know, I know, moment. but I want to- I want to give you something that's real for me that I'm like, yeah, I love yep. that line, but also that won't make people go like, oh my God, did he just Th- say that's that? That's okay too, though. <laughs> there, I stumped there, him, Jamie. There is a, there just, is a, there's good ones. I can tell there's good ones. This one is plentiful with good lines. I can tell already. There's, there's a line. Oh no, I can't, I can't. Um, <laughs> Because people will think I'm a monster. Um... Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Who knew I would get stumped like this? Okay. There's I amazing... feel victorious. There's, there's, an, there's an amazing line because it, it lands so brilliantly. There's a wonderful actor. Uh, her name is Pat Destro. Pat plays uh, one of the leads of Secret Santa. By the way, Secret Santa is a 13-person ensemble. Um, so it's, it's, it's 13 okay. voices, almost the whole movie. And, and, and they're all incredible actors. There's a, there's, a, there's a line that she has where after this young girl talks about the, the death of her grandfather, right. Mm. And about this, this day that was so important to her, um, where she hid everybody's coats so they couldn't leave. Mm-hmm. 
because she wanted this day about her grandfather. Her grandfather had just passed away mm -hmm. and everybody was telling these wonderful stories about her grandfather. Mm -hmm. And her grandfather was the one person in her family that she felt really loved by and connected mm -hmm. to. And everybody was telling all these beautiful stories about her grandpa. So she hid all the coats so nobody could leave. So everybody would just keep telling stories about her grandpa, right? Mm -hmm. And her aunt, played by Pat Destro, turns and looks at her and goes, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> it brings the house down every time. Every time the movie plays, it brings the house down. Because literally everybody in the cast has tears in their eyes while right. this girl is telling this beautiful story. And her aunt is like, oh, fuck off. So her aunt is very like Aunt Dorothy and Krampus. <laughs> oh yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. no which is the again thing. the best character in the movie here's the thing the people in krampus truly are like the brady's compared to this family so excited Ooh, I am they so really excited are for this. and when you see the movie i'm telling you uh do you guys know who drew lynch is name's familiar the stutter familiar. he's the stuttering comedian he came in second on america's got talent a few years ago um he's okay. um he's he's he, Imagine Michael J. Fox at, tw at in his mid twenties with a stutter. Okay. 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 All right. I can see guy. that. Mm -hmm. um, he has got a monologue in this movie. I will not give it away. He has got a monologue in the middle of this film that every single screening in every country we were in got a standing ovation every time. <sighs> in the middle of a movie, people would stand up and applaud the screen. Oh, oh wow. you must feel Every time. amazing about that. Oh my god. It's like yeah. it's the, it's that it's the happy it's the happiest I've ever been watching someone do uh, like perform a piece of our writing. Um yeah. the only other time the only other time I had that that much joy was uh we had written a monologue for Morgan Freeman in mm -hmm. Momentum. And we're on set with him and he's doing the line and he kept stumbling over this one section of the line just kept fumbling the line and i i walked in and i went i went morgan we can rewrite it for you if it's about he goes no no I, I got it i'll get it i'll get the line and he stumbled again and i turned to Deb. i said we just made god stumble so <laughs> yeah yeah, that, that was sheer joy. When, and, and again, he's such a pro that he's like, yeah. no, 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 it's a good he's line. Like, I, I want to get yeah. the line. He's I like, want I'll to get, get it. I'll line. get it. Yeah, it was amazing. Amazing. Oh. Yeah. Well, Adam, it has been an honor and a pleasure. And I can't wait to do this again with we you. We have to do this again. So much Absolutely. fun. I still have so many questions, too. So we yeah, have even a whole more other round. than when I started. And we haven't even hit on the list. Yeah. Like, good. <laughs> Good. Well, look, let's do this. You know, watch Secret Santa and let's do let's do something for Christmas time. Oh, sounds amazing. That sounds so I'd jolly and fun. Yes. Sounds amazing. Okay. Totally in. Awesome. Oh. Well, everybody, I hope you have had as much fun watching and listening to this as we have. Happy Friday the 13th anniversary yeah. of Jason Goes to Hell. It's amazing. I'm so excited to hear that. Thank you. And um, I don't know, but you've been listening to the Dolls of Horror. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>